Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Here we come, walking down the street. We get the funniest looks from everyone we meet. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys, and people say we monkey around. Hey, hey, it's Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. This song shaped my childhood and that of millions of other Americans. Do what we like to do. The voice is Mickey Dolenz. There's always something new. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. And people say we monkey around. But we're too busy singing. It's 1966, the year Timothy Leary tells America to turn on, tune in, drop out. TV executives know they need to make programming that reflects the times. Enter the monkeys. Hey. That's a groovy button. What does it say? Love is the ultimate trip. Oh, that's a nice thought. That's a groovy button. What does it say? Save the Texas Prairie Chicken. It was save the chicken, not stop the war. NBC wasn't about to risk a boycott of Bonanza, after all. But the misadventures of four shaggy musicians in Malibu managed to be subversive anyway. The grown-ups were stiffs, the sets were psychedelic, and the long-haired bandmates just wanted to be loved. Artistically, the show used new wave film techniques and brought the audience in on the jokes two years before, Laugh-In and Monty Python. Hey, wait, wait. How do I get in if the door's locked? Peter, you can't expect the writers to know everything. Improvise. Besides, the music is undeniably great. Soon the fictional band morphed into a real band. They wrote their own songs and played their own instruments. And at the same time the Monkees, the TV show, topped the Nielsen ratings, the band topped the Billboard charts. The Monkees got the formula just right. But the concept wasn't unique. Throughout the 60s, movie and TV bosses were desperately trying to bottle Beatlemania. Mickey Dolenz, with musical talent and floppy hair in abundance, was perhaps fated to end up in a band on TV. The question was only, which one? 
there were at least three other shows that pilot season that I was up for as an actor-singer. Uh, Similar? In, uh, well, in the sense that they were about music and about the young generation. There was a lot going on at that time. It wasn't just the Beatles. It was uh, folk music. It was um, all kinds of, uh, you know, youth-oriented music. Uh, one pilot was a Peter, Paul, and Mary type of group called The Happeners. It did not sell. Another was this Beach Boy uh, surfer group. And another one was a big family, mighty wind kind of, you know, those 30 people on stage singing, I got a hammer. New Christian minstrels. Yeah, yeah, new Christian So it was in the air. It was in the air to try to capture this youth movement um, and obviously exploit it. For you know. this medium of TV, that's important for people to remember. Well, in our case, for the first time, to really combine the power of television, radio, and record companies. Now, it had been uh, done before to some degree with Ricky Nelson. Mm. Once in a while, some TV act would come out with a little single. But this was the first time that it was a concerted assault mm-hmm. on the, on the Heavy American consumer. The Monkees was not the Beatles or an attempt to be the American Beatles. The Monkees was a television show about an imaginary group that wanted to be the Beatles. That's what it was about. It was the struggle for success. And that's, I think, one of the reasons it resonated with with so many uh, kids of our generation. Because you there. were hungry. Yes. So many shows since, you know, you see them, they come on the air, they're all beautiful, cute, and lovely, and they're successful already. You know, the closest thing I've seen come around uh, over the decades is Glee, which was a TV show about an imaginary Glee club. But I, I gather they go and perform because they could. So rather than the old school Hollywood trick, having somebody else sing your vocals in West Side Story Mm -hmm. (laughs) or Sweet and Low Down, Sean Penn. I mean, it was a beautiful movie, but of course he didn't play any of that. They had in mind that we were going to eventually go out on the road and perform because the audition process was nothing like I'd ever been through before. You had to be able to sing. You had to be able to play an instrument. You had to improvise. You had to do comedy scene work uh, on the screen tests. So they must have had in mind, you know, that if this thing sells, then one day these guys are going to go out on the road and, and, and perform. So after we got cast and started filming, early days, early, early days, I think maybe before I'd recorded anything, And they brought me to this apartment building and said, we want you to meet the writers who will be writing for you. And I go in and this little cubby holes, like, reminds me of like a medical building where it's a dentist here and a chiropractor. And it's like, hello, Carol? Uh, Oh, hi, Mickey, this is Carol King. She'll be writing songs for you. Oh, my God. Oh, hi. And she's sitting at an upright piano in a little cubby hole, like the size of this little, less, less than the size of this little studio. And she has a woolen sack reel-to-reel tape recorder. And I remember that because I had the exact same tape recorder. So did my at dad. Right? Yes. <laughs> Carol, this is Mickey. Mickey, this is Carol. Hi, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Hello. Hi. Oh, David. David Gates. This is Mickey Dolans. He's going to be singing and you're going to be writing for him. David Gates from Brit? David Gates, yes. Brett. My God. 
Oh, my God. Oh, he wrote a, a big hit for us. And I don't know if you saw Beautiful, but uh, mm-hmm. Carol King at one point says, we got to write some songs for this TV show in Hollywood. And Jerry Goffin goes, ah, oh, fuck. Right. <laughs> oh, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> uh, so, so knock, knock, it's David Gates. And then I heard about all these writers. But, you know, even in that day, the writers were not acknowledged like they are now. Whenever I do a show... I immediately acknowledge the writers that wrote this stuff because without them, I'd be going. Yeah. When did Boyce and Hart come into the picture? Very early. So Boyce and Hart were trying out to be a, a cast as a couple of the monkeys. I have no idea why Bob Rafelson, Bert Schneider, but you know how it goes. I mean, you got development from NBC or wherever. I'm sure they were all watching the screen tests and and making those choices. And I have no idea why they chose any of us, including me. But thank God they did. <laughs> um, but what was your musical DNA? I mean, I know you performed since you were a child, correct? Yeah. And so what was your music DNA? Great question. When you went rolling into that scenario? Thank you, because um, it is important to me. Um, I started out playing classical guitar. Segovia kind of stuff as a 10-year-old or something like that. My dad got me into it and played me a Segovia record, and I was like, there's no way one person is doing all that. He said, yes, it is. And I got into it. I got really hooked. I got really passionate. My dad was an actor, a swashbuckling kind of Errol Flynn character in the 40s and 50s from Italy, so old school. And he got me into playing a classical guitar, and I took lessons and, and studied and trained. But, you know, I'm 10 years old. Then I went to high school, and I started going to parties, and they would invite me to parties. I was this little geeky mascot, you know. But the girls would invite me to parties because I could play something on the guitar. Then they would say, do you know any Kingston Trio? Yeah. I'll be right back. <laughs> Hang down your head, don't So I got okay at folk music. Peter, Paul, and Mary, my sister and I would sing at parties and stuff. And you knew you could sing? Yeah, and my mom, because my mom was a singer and great singer, and my dad was a great singer, but he was like a, you know, operatic. He would do Strangers in the... <laughs> Some enchanted Some evening. enchanted evening. <laughs> you may see a stranger. But he would sing it walking through the living room in his underwear. <laughs> so it's like, oh, right. Dad, that is yeah. so gross. With a glass of red wine in his oh, head. Oh, Anyway, so I brought up singing, acting, the whole thing. But I think nature also has something to do with it. You know, there's the physicality of it. You're born with a, the physique to be a tennis player or yeah. golfer. And the pipes to sing. And the, well, that's, it's a muscle. Yeah. And so I think I was born with the muscles to do that. So, yeah, I, I could sing my after the uh, folk music era— I started rock and roll and, I, you know, started playing guitar and rock rock guitar and started going out with, like, you know, cover bands, Mickey and the One-Nighters, yeah. you know, just doing, you know, Walking the Dog and Money and, and House of the like Rising everybody. Sun. Like everybody. Every, every, like the Beatles, yeah, the Stones, everybody. Well, I talked to Ringo about it when I interviewed him one day. He said, well, we're all cover bands. And it's true. 
I used to do a tune in my band called Johnny Be Good because I was a huge Chuck Berry fan. That was my audition piece for the Monkees. How did they find you? Oh, since I had already had a television show as a child. Oh, you, you were circus boy. NBC. You were circus boy. I was, yes. One does not go to the cattle call. Right. NBC knew you. Yeah. And, and the producers and Bob and Bird and my agent. I had an agent, you know. I was doing guest shots on Mr. Novak, Peyton Place, usually playing the bad guy, the little thug, the kind of... You know. Creepy kid. Yeah, the creepy kid. Well, you could tell there's like the the, the the creepy kid thing. There's a little anarchy underneath everything you're doing. There's Ooh. a little there's a little madness well, underneath everything you're doing. Under the under the whole monkey thing was a little bit of anarchy. Bob and Bert weren't much older, the creators, producers. Right. They were not much older than we were. When I went to my first audition down on uh, Gower there at the uh, at Screen Gyms, I walked in and uh, there were these two guys sitting there in jeans and T-shirts. I thought they were there for the audition, <laughs> and that was Bob and Bert. I mean, they were part of that young buck, new wave generation, which created the Hollywood independent film industry with uh, Easy Rider. Mm. So Bob and Bert were not much older than I was. And there's a wonderful chapter in Timothy Leary's book, Politics of Ecstasy. Um, don't know what you think about Timothy Leary, but he has like a half a chapter on the monkeys describing how essentially we brought long hair into the living room and made it okay to wear bell bottoms and have long hair because the only time you saw long-haired kids in 66 or 7 on television, they were getting arrested. So the monkeys came along and said, we just want to be happy, have a lot of have our fun. We're just trying to be friendly. Yeah. And it was a tough sell. Bob and Bert, I understand, had a real tough sell at the uh, New York. uh, The upfronts. Upfronts, yep. NBC was nervous. But it represented all the kids out there that were of the same mind. The majority didn't want to throw bombs at people or, or you know, to them, it, it was just we wanted to just have fun and we loved the look. You know, a very similar thing happened with Harry Winkler in Happy Days. He made it okay to wear a leather jacket, yeah. finally, and ride a motorcycle and he wasn't Marlon Brando. And have a kiss of danger. The kiss of danger. Uh, Will Smith did a similar thing with Fresh Prince. He said, it's okay to be a young black guy and yeah. sing rap music. Yeah. Well, the monkeys did the same thing. So and then you mentioned Easy Rider. You know, we had Russ Tamblin in here hmm? to record a show with us. And what's interesting is I asked him how his career rolls after he does uh, West Side Story. Hmm. And then within a matter of a few years, a handful of years, all that's crumbling. Mm-hmm. As you said, everything starts to change. Easy Rider, the anti-heroic period of filmmaking, Nicholson's career is born. Well, Nicholson had his first, I don't know, I don't want to say break. He was a B-movie actor. Uh, and a Corman guy. Corman. Yeah. And I don't know if you heard of the monkey movie called Head. Yes, of course. Right, written by Nicholson. And us, we did get credit eventually. After the monkey's show went off the air, um, Bob introduced us to this guy called Jack, Jack Nicholson, who was doing B-movie, but wanted to write. And we just fell in love with him. I did. I can't speak for everybody else. But he is the, was and is the one most wonderful, charismatic, funny, intelligent guy that I'd ever met. And uh, we uh, welcomed him with open arms. And he hung out with us for like, God, months it seems like. And then we all got together up in Ojai 
at the in and spot. And we I got film of this. I got actual film of us sitting around, you know, choreographing what this movie was going to be about because uh, obviously as a movie, we didn't have to stick to the NBC standards and practices thing, which was pretty brutal. But The Monkees wasn't about that anyway. It was not our place to do that uh, at the time. We left that to laugh in and to uh, other uh, shows. I had no objections to that. It was a wide demographic, young kids, 13 years old. Uh, So we went up and wrote this wacky script. And uh, they took that, created this movie Head, which I love. I mean, I don't get it (laughs) still. (laughs) And I wrote part of it. (laughs) And I wrote part of it. It's beyond you. But it's Quentin told me it's like his top five. Um, so that was our little kind of breakout, you know, and fans hated it. But now, now it's become this little cult thing because at the time, you know, they would not let us even touch upon anything political, social. It was, it was NBC, you know, standards and practices. I'm not sure. It was only just after they let Ozzy and Harriet sleep in the same bed or something course, like yeah, that. Of course, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. but describe for people to hear it from your own mouth, this journey, everyone's impression who knows about that period of, you, you know, your careers in television, that you're lip syncing. Another band was playing and you're simulating, correct? Early no. on. No. No, what not. Was the, what was well, the it's, it's, it's not accurate. First of What's all, accurate? We, we sang all of it, every note. Right. We didn't lip sync. No, you only lip sync when you're doing a music video. Right. No, but the recording process was was different. And I know that Peter, for instance, wanted to go in and play. Mike wanted to. But when we first were cast, they had already recorded a lot of tracks. Um, They hired the Wrecking Crew, which I'm sure you've heard of. I read about that, yeah. A studio band. They were the studio cats. Played all the tracks for the Beach Boys, for Association, for the Birds. I frankly didn't care. I mean, I approached it like I was doing a musical. I was an entertainer, singer, actor. The Monkees was like a Marx Brothers musical. And it was John Lennon that first made that comparison. The Monkees was a little half-hour Marx Brothers musical. But what I'm looking for is eventually... Oh, yeah. You do play. Yeah. What's around the time when you're sitting there and you guys are playing and you say to yourself, Wow. Yeah. We're there. Oh, yeah. When does that happen? That happened in Honolulu in 1967. But the prelude to that is that we start rehearsing because they say, we want to go on the road. We want to take the sack on the road. And that is why they hired actor musicians. Mike plays incredible 12 string. Peter plays seven instruments. God rest his soul. I mean, he went to the Conservatory of Music in like in New York. David uh, didn't play an instrument as such, but could sing, obviously, and played percussion. I was a guitar player, and when they said, you're going to be the drummer, I said, cool, where do I start? <laughs> like I'd said in Circus Boy when they said, so you're going to ride an elephant. Okay, where do I start? Like they must have said to Lloyd Bridges when he started. See, you're going to be a scuba of the ocean. driver. Yeah, right. right, where do I start? <laughs> Bright as the sun Someone to understand them And you just may be the one Oh, 
actor and musician Mickey Dolenz. This album marks the beginning of the band's self-sufficiency. You're listening to Michael Nesmith in 1967 singing his own composition, You Just May Be The One. All the instruments are the monkeys themselves, too. At the same time as the monkeys were softening the edges of the counterculture, Andy Warhol was doing the opposite. He made Four Stars, a plotless, unedited, 25-hour portrait of his friends and collaborators doing drugs and having sex. That movie was also the debut of Warhol's favorite beefcake star, Joe D'Alessandro. But when the juvenile delinquent turned pinup model showed up at the factory in 1967, he had no idea who his host was. I had a couple of friends in New York that introduced me to other people. And, and then one day, one of these friends uh, said, hey, I know this person that's uh, making these Campbell soup can you know, makes the Campbell soup. And I was thinking we were going to eat some soup, which I was all for. And you just may be the one. For a link to my interview with Joe D'Alessandro, text Joe, that's J-O-E, to 70101. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. My guest is Mickey Dolan's drummer and vocalist for the Monkees. Walk out, girl, don't you walk out, we've got things to say. Talk out, let's 
Pandemic has meant no 2020 tour, but you can still hear his and Michael Nesmith's latest from the comfort of your own confinement. Their album called The Monkeys Live, The Mike and Mickey Show was taped last year and is available on iTunes and Spotify. Their sound and the love from the audience is as strong as ever. But starting from just playing a band member on TV, it took Dolan's time and hard work to build up his skills. I had about a year, and I studied very, very hard, and I practiced very, very hard. It was rock and roll, just 4-4 four, four time, for the most part. We rehearsed diligently. Uh, David Winters, speaking of West Side Story, was the director of our first stage show. And all of a sudden, one day, uh, they said, your first gig is... Uh, Hawaii. I think they did that because if it bombed, no one would know. You were many miles off the coast of the United States. No internet. They could bury it like (laughs) nuclear waste. Yes, that was us, nuclear waste. Good name for a group. It turns out we did uh, pretty good. There's a live in 67 CD, which was not recorded to be a record. It was some, I think the sound guy was just like holding a microphone up in the air to capture it, but it's not bad. There's only three of us playing, you know, it was Mike, Peter, and I, Davey just doing percussion, and of course the vocals. But it was a trio, it was a power trio, and Peter would play the uh, right hand, he would play keyboard melody, and on the left hand, he'd play keyboard bass. Mike Nesmith always put it like, When we went on the road, it was like Pinocchio became a real little boy. And there's a lot of truth in that. And and how'd you feel back then? Were you happy? How did they feel? Were they happy? Was it something the other 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 members of the band or the monkeys? Couldn't tell. I I, I don't want to speak for for them. Mike Nesmith, I know, and it's well recorded, he wanted to play and sing a lot more. He'd been brought into the uh, situation had no idea what a series was all about. They say, he said, I want to sing and play and write my songs. And he did not have a chance to do that initially. Eventually he did. And that's when we had the palace coup prompted by him. What year did that happen? I was 67, I want to say. Right maybe. around the time of the live show in Hawaii. Just after. We had a palace coup mainly because Mike said, we can do this. Pinocchio can become a little boy. He was frustrated, and I don't blame him. How'd you feel? I didn't care one way or the other. I was having a great time, and I loved singing. It ended up that I was—I think I ended up doing the most of the lead vocals kind of by default. Um, Mike had a very—and does still—has a very wonderful country-western yeah. kind of All flavor. All men yeah. must have someone— have someone. I love that song. Yeah, oh, beautiful. Yeah. We do that in our show, yeah. he and I now. Uh, Peter, like I say, could play like, you know, seven instruments. David, great singer, but definitely the crooner Broadway kind of t- Tony Newley. I read somewhere, yeah, I read somewhere where they had decided, the, the powers that be, that your voice was more the voice I of. was the only one that could go, <laughs> Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, like I say, I think (laughs) you are really good at this. Thank you. Mm. 
So you have the coup, you get rid of Kirshner, you're doing your own thing. Yeah. Does everybody sense that it's better and everybody's happy Eventually, now? Eventually. They do. Well, I can only speak again, again for myself. I understand. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, during that period, I had, uh, I guess you'd call it an awakening or something. Because up until that point, we had, uh, uh, I'd been ensconced on the set uh, from 7 o'clock in the morning, uh, makeup, until 11 o'clock at night, where I would be brought into in, uh, RCA Studios to record two or three lead vocals a night because they wanted so much material. They wanted you to do the show during the day and record at night. Yeah, I had to. They needed so much material because they wanted two new songs for every episode. And so Boyce and Hart and Carol King and uh, and all these people are pumping out massive amounts of material and Carol come over to my house I'd go over to Diane Hildebrand or or Boyce and Hard and then uh, to routine the stuff and then go in the studio and just blow it out at 11, 10 11 o'clock at night and that went on for months because they needed so much material um, there's material that is still in the can that we have not released we uh, released an album two years ago called Good Times one of the songs, Me and Magdalena, written by Ben Gibbard from Death Cab for Cutie, is number 76 on the Billboard Hot 100 for the entire decade on this album called Good Times. Very proud of that. So anyway, I'm in the studio, you know, or on the set, basically 24-7. But I'm only 21 years old, so... I'm just taking it for what it is. I mean, I was had been brought up to be a actor entertainer, and you show up at seven for your makeup and wardrobe call, and you do your job, yeah. and you go home. It's the whole Judy Garland thing. Yeah. Now, but let me ask you that. Meaning, you're 20 years old, and you're grinding this out. What was your life like? Did you have a life? Oh, absolutely. Meeting I had people. a wonderful life. Right. I actually had a wonderful life. Well, again, I was used to it. I, I you know, I had a, this, a lot of this it. series when I was 10. Right. So I well knew what I was getting into. It was almost like home for me because when you're 10, 12, 13 years old and you're you know, those are very formative years. And I was on a set with my mom and a bunch of smelly electricians. And so I went back to high school. And that was abnormal for me. I was like fish out of water until I got the monkeys, which is only a few years later. When I went to the audition interview for the monkeys at Screen Gyms, the same guy was on the gate that had been there when I was 10 years old with Circus Boy. It was only 10 years later. Mm. This was home to me. I breathed a sigh of relief being on a set. You were comfortable there. Oh, yeah, big time. Because before that, I was on my father's set when he was doing movies for uh, Howard Hughes. I didn't have to adapt. I just fell into it. And when, and when the show ends, is there a thought for you to say, I'm kind of done with music now and I want to go back to acting or no? Were you now, in your soul, a musician? No. I was up for the Fonz. And it was between me and Henry Winkler. I don't know if he's ever told you this story. It was a uh, mid-season replacement just after the monkeys. And I was up for it and went back for callbacks. And it was between me and Henry. He walked into the office, Gary Marshall's office, said, Oh, shit, Mickey Dolenz is here. I'm never going to get this. <laughs> <laughs> and thank God he did because he was a much better Fonz than I would have been. No, I went for some uh, 
interviews. And I did a couple of little guest shots on on some shows. My agent would send me out for little things. But I would go into the office and they'd say, oh, we don't need any drummers. What are wow. you doing here? So it's hard to get out from under the shadow of the monkeys. Yeah. Talk to Leonard Nimoy about that. Right. Um, this classic problem in our industry. Yeah, right. yeah. But I didn't worry about it that much because the same thing had happened to me after Circus Boy. I'd go to an interview and they'd say, we don't need... Yeah, we don't have any elephants in the <laughs> yeah. show. And you're not blonde anymore. What's the... Yeah. I was used to that. Right. But also, um, I had already started directing. And I directed the, what, the last episode of The Monkees, wrote and directed. I had already decided I kind of wanted to get into production. I'd already been an actor since I was 10. And I started a little film production company. But shortly thereafter, I moved to England, had married a girl that uh, is English. And we went to um, England to do a play at the Mermaid Theater, doing The Point by Harry Nilsson, who was my dear friend at the time. And he'd written this uh, animated thing. And then it became a play in uh, London in the West End. And he said, would you come and play in it? It was a limited pantomime season. And I went there with my wife, I brought my reels, what I had at the time. I gave it to an English agent, and all of a sudden, bang, I, 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 I get this gig at the BBC directing a drama, a drama play. And <clears throat> I did it, and all of a sudden, I, I'd gone to England for three months, stayed for 15 years. I directed big shows, long-running shows for the BBC, for LWT, for Granada, for Tim's. I loved it. And I was doing something outside of the purview of what I was known for. Over there, within a, about a year, you escaped. the auditions, well, the not auditions, the interviews, when I did a uh, interview, it would say, BBC producer, writer, Ooh. Michael Dolenz. Ooh. You became someone else yes, again. I did. From Circus Boy to Mickey Dolan's to Michael Dolan's. Yeah. What and a, back again. What brought you back? Fifteen a years ago and you loved okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the truth. A divorce. Um, I had retired actually. I had tried to retire at thirty five or forty or something. Big English rock and roll mansion, full time staff of six hunting in the winter and polo in the summer and the rock star life. Oh yeah. And it was so boring. <laughs> yeah. I was bored to death cuz I wasn't working. Um I wasn't accomplishing. You know, I'd I'd wander around the grounds, seven or eight acres of formal gardens and the help would tip their hats, "Morning, governor. Morning." And I was like trying to hang out with them. <laughs> say, hey, what's happening? <laughs> Morning, governor. Yes, Morning. Sir. I got very bored because I wasn't working. Came back to the States, did a little directing, Boy Meets World. I did uh, Pacific Blue. But I kind of, you know, I guess I kind of got tired of that too. I don't know. I mean, here it's not the same. In England, uh, I had, and I still think it applies, enormous amount of control. Over there, the showrunner is the producer director, not the producer writer. Mm -hmm. I hired writers. Mm -hmm. Here, the producer writer is the more powerful. Yes. Yeah, that's the showrunner. Sorkin. Yeah. Uh, over there, I'd go in and pitch an idea. And <laughs> unlike over here, where it has to go through, you know, God knows how many network development executives, uh, they would just say, uh, We rather like that idea. 
here's the money. Go ahead and do it. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. And I wouldn't hear anything for weeks. I'm like, is anybody out there? Yeah. <laughs> Am I doing okay? Is it? Yeah. Enormous amount of uh, responsibility, but also uh, freedom. And that's why we get these amazing shows out of Britain to this day, because they don't fuck around with you. Now, when you and uh, Nesmith go out on the road now, you go period- periodically, you guys are out there. And when you're out there, like, how, how does it begin? The show? We, we, well, how do you Mike both come and together I, again? Mike and, m- first of all, I sang most of the leads, and Mike wrote some incredible tunes for the Monkees and after. It's probably a lot more musical. Uh, we have an incredible band, 10-piece band. It's different, but the hits are there. Because the people want to hear the hits. Sure. And I've always acknowledged that. And I do them as they remember them. It's very important to do that so they can sing along. Peter Tork, God love him, you know, passed away last year. And Davy Jones passed away a, a while ago. A few years ago, yeah. The monkeys thing will go on, you know, with or without me. Because A, the music was, you know, so special. And the show, you know, the thing about the TV show, the smartest thing they did, those producers, is that it was not topical and it wasn't satirical. Like I Love Lucy or The Honeymooners or it was about these four guys that that were living in this situation. In uh, Malibu. In Malibu (laughs) and wanted to be successful. And we never were on the show. That's, I think, one of the reasons why it stands up. My last question for you would be, music today, you know, contemporary music, are you a fan of much contemporary music or it's not in your life as much? It's not in my life at all. Uh, Not that I have anything against it, but I kind of, I guess I kind of dialed out uh, with Sinatra and classical guitar. That's so funny. (laughs) In the morning, my wife and I listened to Segovia. And in the afternoon, we listen to Billie Holiday. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, because I do it for a living. You know, it's I I don't keep up. I must admit, I'm sure there's lots of wonderful stuff out there. But no. You have how many kids? Oh, I have four. You have four kids. Yeah. That I know of. (laughs) What do they do? Are they anybody? They're all having grandkids. Two of them are in the entertainment industry. One is a photographer. And uh, mom, stay-at-home mom. And the other uh, is uh, the chief officer for 13 African nations for the uh, Clinton Foundation trying to eradicate malaria. Working from where? She lives in D.C., but goes to Africa frequently. Uh, How many girls? How many boys? All girls. And now two grandchildren and a third at Christmas. Beautiful. Not bad for a long-haired weirdo, huh, America? I'm gonna pack up all the pain I've been keeping in my heart I'm gonna catch me the fastest train I'm gonna make me a brand new start But that's okay Tomorrow's gonna be another day Hey, 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 hey And I don't care what you say Tomorrow's gonna be Tomorrow's gonna be, tomorrow's gonna be another day. Hey, 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 hey. Mickey Dolan's youth culture icon grandfather. That third grandchild was born right on schedule over the holidays. A healthy baby boy currently sheltering in place with his mom 
in Washington, D.C. Tomorrow's gonna be another day. Hey, 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 hey. Tomorrow's gonna be another day. I'm Alec Baldwin, and this is Here's the Thing. Part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career. And here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your your perfect home sweet home.